Hey, you ready? Hey, grab that right there. <laughs> Are you ready? Hey. Is you ready? Ready? You say you ready? Oh. Whole squad ready? Ready? Is you ready? Huh? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Whole squad ready? We came here to see Jet. What you got? Uh, welcome back, everyone, to the Clapback Flock Show. It's nice to have everyone again. Tom, how are you doing? Fat, dumb, happy, and entitled. It's Washington State Week. That is. Uh, last week, uh, that was a heart-fought victory against those uh, Mamelutes. Uh, fortunately, the Ducks won in a comeback. It was a little dicey there for a little bit. Indeed, it was. I was nervous when Jacob Eason came out and started throwing accurately and with good decision making but when I, once I saw the wide receivers dropping as many balls as they did um, my hope was restored yeah Eason played like a top draft prospect that he was billed to be and Justin Herbert didn't do as well but he made the key throws in the end to seal the win so either way it's still a win a win is a win yeah, there were some th- uh, there were some standouts as well, such as uh, Troy Dye playing through a broken thumb, which was amazing. Yeah, you can't question his toughness or the love for this program. Yeah, also there was another injury that kind of impacted things, where Diamador Lenoir went out early, was seemingly I think it was a leg injury, but we were all concerned when the cart came out, and but fortunately, Coach Cristobal said that he's good to go this weekend, thankfully. Thankfully, we will need him against the air raid. Yeah, Justin Herbert was really off in this game. He had his moments where, especially the uh, wide receiver motion play to Micah Pittman for his touchdown of the game, Mm -hmm. where he came in motion halfway across the field and the defensive back thought he was going the whole way across the field. And so when they snapped the ball and he started going the other direction, he had a wide open field in front of him. Oh, that was great. I loved it. And a lot of the... the, uh, there were a couple of times where they, they put uh, Jalen Red in motion, like we've seen a couple of times earlier this year where they'll pitch him the ball when he's in motion. But this game, when they did it, uh, I think each time they did it, it ended up being um, just a dump pass off into the flat. So throwing some, some wrinkles into existing plays and coming up with some fresh new ones. Yep, Athlon Sports uh, on Sunday named Marcus Arroyo the coordinator of the week. Hmm. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. <laughs> He's improved a lot this year compared to last year. I'll say that. But if y'all if y'all read the Hithilis piece on Addicted to the Quack, he goes into more detail about what happened and what didn't happen and what went so well and what went not so well. Oregon just out physical Washington in the second half where Washington didn't have any gas left for all those runs. So coach Phil did some pretty good work in the off season for us. Uh, the Washington defensive front seven were definitely gassed. We're definitely hurting there at the end of the game. What's funny about this game was that Oregon ran the same exact play as they did last year to beat beat Washington this year again. So somebody didn't do any film work in, over there in Seattle. Hmm. So well, another interesting thing was um, CHL taking over the running back duties, the primary running back duties from Verdell and Dye. That was really interesting. He's coming on, he's coming on this year. Yeah, uh, I was listening to the James Crepia show today, and he has nicknamed uh, Habibi Likio uh, the Sandman because uh, he, if uh, the Oregon run game were baseball, he would be considered the closer. And really, whenever he comes yeah. out, he'll just close out a game, much yeah. like Mariano Rivera did. It's a shame the Yankees lost, by the way. Yeah, and... Uh... Yeah, Washington just didn't have anything in the second half defensively because they were just running out of gas and and their play calling was very suspect. I'll say that. So who st- stood out to you most in this game? What stood out to me the most in this game was actually the 
lack of a somebody rather than a, a showing of a somebody. Um, yeah. Juwan Johnson only saw one pass the entire game. It really surprised me because especially with Breland out, we really could have used a, a, a big physical presence, uh, especially in the red zone, but we didn't seem to utilize him like that. And yeah. to have him out there but not actually producing was astonishing to me. What stood out to you in this game? I would say that Washington completely went against everybody's script in, in their play calling. How so? Because there's certain play calls were, um, were not designed to go one way, but they went the other, other way. And Andy Avalos, was, I think he was caught off guard a little bit. Yeah, it was very interesting to see how this matchup's played out because their offensive line against Oregon's defensive line was was a matchup I was paying attention to the most, and it was pretty even. Sewell for Heisman. Yeah, Peni for Heisman, Peni for Heisman, Peni for everything, every award out there. <laughs> yeah, join the wagon, folks. It's filling up quickly. You know, I'm glad for another a start to another winning streak against the mistakes by the Mont Lake. Finally, and do you see the picture that uh, the addicted to quack account tweeted out at the end of the game uh, with Chris Peterson looking like a sad lost puppy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always it's always a great thing to see a sad Washington person <laughs> okay that wraps up our uh, recap of the of the glorious win against the rival huskies what were some other pac-12 games that we kept you kept an eye on i kept half an eye on the utah asu game um utah is still good uh asu is still streaky i kept half an eye on the wsu colorado game um I did not look like a pleasant game to be playing in. And I did not watch the UCLA-Stanford game. I had better things to do with my time. I was watching the Denver-Kansas City game instead. Yeah. yeah neither game turned out to be pretty good on that night. So, <laughs> yeah, just the uh, Stanford's not Stanford this year. So, I'll say that. Uh, yeah. This is... Uh, a pretty good win for UCLA considering, I mean, they scored a bunch of points. Um, Do you think that they're finally starting to click or is it a false positive because they're playing Stanford? I think it's a false positive because it's Stanford and they're struggling this year. Yeah. I watched a little bit of USC in Arizona for future scouting purposes and USC looked pretty good and Arizona did not. Yeah. USC is looking better and better as the year goes yeah. on, um, uh, I think that they're finally kind of uh, embracing the team that they are and not the team that they were trying to be, um, especially with their starting quarterback at the beginning of the season uh, being out so early. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I was really uh, impressed by is USC's offensive line um, for the yeah. first time. Uh, I noticed a little bit uh, during the the Notre Dame game, but during the the Arizona game, they just looked solid. Yeah, the run game was doing pretty good considering they lost their running back to injury, their star running back, Malapii. He's out for the year. So Stephen Carr came off the bench and showed up pretty well. Didn't they lose three running backs this game? Yeah, but I think, they were uh, down to their like, yeah. former walk-on running back by the end of the game. Yeah, Step, yeah, Step was out for a little bit. Yeah, they are pretty much injury-ridden all over the place. So. Fortunately for them, Arizona is not a good program this year. Khalil Tate's not even within my top five of the quarterback big board in the Pac-12. So that article is coming out, by the way. So please read. I don't think that USC is going to need a substantial run game to beat Colorado, as banged up as they are. But it would be a, it'd be a shot in the arm for the Pac-12 if they made a good showing. Speaking of which, uh, that's a Friday night game. 
So, you know, Friday night, pack hell after dark. Those pack. things get to, tend to get a little weird. <laughs> uh, speaking of things that are getting a little weird, the Oregon State Beavers won a game. That's weird. Yeah. They're starting to look, uh, I hesitate to say good, but last year they were laughably bad. And this year they're just yeah. bad. I'm no longer laughing at them because they're so bad. They're still okay. This win does make our win over Cal look just a little bit worse, but Cal didn't look great at all. Uh, OSU came out to uh, to an early lead and then ended up squandering it away and then winning it again at the, the uh, walk-off touchdown. Do you think it's possible that uh, Luden is the best Pac-12 quarterback that nobody's talking about? It's possible, but he he's uh, he has his moments where it's really inconsistent. So, yeah, he's uh, yeah. he's thrown sixteen touchdowns, only one interception. He's got like sixteen hundred yards on the year. Um, yeah. he's fortieth nationally in QBR, <clears throat> and he's a he's a senior. I would imagine that he'd be getting at least a little bit of a of of hype um, with those numbers. Um, I mean, granted, uh, Isaiah Hodgins and Artavis Pierce you know, are helping uh, with that process, but I think that Luton's probably, at this point, the most underrated quarterback in the Pac-12. Yeah. I'm not going to say say best or giving him any other superlatives, but just you know, the one that's just barely under the radar for everybody. Yep, Oregon State's actually in second place in the Pac-12 North. Believe it or not, I believe it. Nobody else wants to be second place. I don't know. It's weird for Oregon to clinch this early, or potentially clinch this early. Yeah, the uh, win over Washington puts them at a ninety-nine percent or ninety-nine percent yeah. chance to win the Pac-12 North. Yeah, it's going to be a weird, interesting road the rest of the season. I believe in the Pac-12 as it usually is. So, yeah, speaking of Pac-12 games this week, this coming weekend, I have Arizona State and UCLA circled on my calendar. That one is strange to me. That's like the biggest enigma for me coming into this week. The the teams have a practically they have a they have a mirrored record. ASU is mm-hmm. 5 and 2, UCLA is 2 and 5. ASU is 2 and 2 in conference, so is UCLA. Um, Vegas has Arizona State as a three and a half point favorite going into UCLA, uh, but FPI has UCLA with a fifty one point one percent win chance. So this is really anybody's game, depending on who you ask. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if uh, the freshman quarterback bounces back from being traumatized by the Utah defense last weekend because he was uh, Jaden Daniels is uh, not good. I'll say, but that's that's to be expected against Utah's top-ranked defense, pretty much against anyone. So I'll have an eye on uh, their receiver, Arizona State's receiver Brandon Ayuk, arguably the conference's best best running back. You know Benjamin, he hasn't got gotten anything going this year, but he's still a home run threat every single time. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see if Arizona State can get on get anything going back on track on offense. And this one against UCLA defense. What could be the game of the week in the conference is Cal versus Utah. The battle of the defenses. <laughs> it's Pac-12 after dark, part one. I don't think it's going to be that close, especially after watching mm-hmm. what Cal did last week and against us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Modster is not showing uh, promise at all. <laughs> um I've got, I think I've got, I've got Utah uh, coming away big on this one. Um, I think I've got him uh, 31 to six. Uh, this is one of the only games that I actually put, wrote a score down uh, next to. Um, yeah, Cal will probably get close enough to score a couple of garbage time uh, field goals or miss an extra point or something. But yeah, 31 six, that's what I got. Yeah, Utah has numerous defenders on my big board. When it's in Utah, uh, this yeah. time of year, the weather's probably going to be a factor. 
be cold, maybe rainy if Cal shows up like they did last week. They don't really have a chance. No. Because Tyler Huntley's one of the more underrated quarterbacks in this conference. Yeah, he also has, uh, it also helps him to have uh, Zach Moss, which a little spoiler alert for my article tomorrow is uh, the best running back in the conference, according to me. If he can stay healthy, he's been a little dinged up this year. <laughs> so were there any games nationally that you kept an eye on last weekend? You know, not not really. Um, there are a few that sparked my interest after they were done. When uh, when the Tua went out in Bama, I still thought that yeah. they were going to win the game. I didn't think they were going to cover the 35 points that uh, <laughs> they were slated to win by, but... Um, I still had confidence in Bama's weapons to overcome Tennessee. Tennessee is just a dumpster fire. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mac Jones looked serviceable. He could turn and hand the ball off to Najee Harris practically just as good as anybody else. I was surprised at the Wisconsin-Illinois game. I knew that Illinois yeah. was going to come in and put up a fight. I didn't really think that they would win. Uh, Richard Johnson from PAPN kept on warning everybody, you need to adjust your expectations for Illinois this year. Um, don't count them out. And I think Wisconsin has kind of a kind of a habit this year of playing down to their opponents. Uh, they let Northwestern sneak in uh, in a close game, and they let Illinois in right there at the end, and it ended up being fatal for him. Yep, and I watched, I watched like, the fourth quarter of that game. I was surprised that Illinois was still in it, but uh, I'm happy for Lovey Smith to get that program-defining signature win. Second biggest yeah. story in this game is Lovey Smith's beard. Such a nice yep. beard. He's a... He has a luxurious beard. Mm. He's uh he he's been preparing for his uh second job at Santa Claus at the local mall in Champaign. <laughs> I think uh the the game the Tennessee Alabama game was pretty much over when Alabama scored the first time, but the game really swung when the Tennessee quarterback went rogue and won the QB sneak near the goal line because that and... wasn't a call. And he fumbled the ball, and Alabama returned it 100 yards back the other way. So uh, I think Jay Garantano's days at the, as a starting quarterback for Tennessee are done for that. Yeah, do you see Jeremy Pruitt yank his face mask at the end? I, I think that's a little bit of an overreaction. Yeah, that's a, that's an old-school coach thing. Because Jimbo Fisher did the thing, the same thing last year where he completely damn near ripped the uh, helmet off of his guy <laughs> last season. So I don't agree with it, but I can see where it's coming from, as you said. So it wasn't a close ball game, as we expected, but I would expect Garantano to transfer or be placed in the transfer portal soon because that was a uh, Bush League move going rogue like that. In other action, there was a North Carolina and Virginia Tech. That was the first implementation of the new overtime rules. That was crazy. Where right after the fifth overtime, you have you have to go for two every single time. Yeah, that's yeah. the really the only reason this game is important. Um, it was an ACC Coastal game. At this point, I'm not really paying attention to those. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But if you want to talk about multiple overtime games this week, uh, the Georgia Southern Coastal Carolina game went into triple yeah. overtimes, and the game started with a dance-off at midfield between both of the teams that resulted yeah. <laughs> in a uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on both teams, much like the uh, uh, Red River game. These refs, they just won't allow anybody to have fun. What is college football? The no, no fun league? No, it's the NFL. No fun league. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, colleges. They need to, we need to have some fun in college. Not as much as dancing as Willie does, but you know, we need to have some dancing involved, right? Yeah. Like the third quarter shout. Yeah, one other game I was paying attention to was because I was uh bored and maybe somewhat insane. 
or you can call me both. <laughs> I was paying attention to Georgia and Kentucky. Oh my gosh. Where Georgia pulled it up. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was tied zero zero entering the fourth quarter and somehow Georgia pulled it out and Jake Fromm uh, proved that he was an undrafted free agent grade in the draft where he only threw for thirty five yards the whole game. I don't know how much of that's on him though. I mean that yeah. the uh all I have on my notes on that game is it just says soup, double underlined. Yeah, there was no way was they were going to get anything going through the air on that game. Uh, either yeah, team, there were times where guys would be sliding across the field about four or five yards after a play, and the concept of trying to hold on to this oblong object that doesn't inherently want to be held to begin with, I, I was not surprised at the outcome of this game. Kentucky's excuse is that they don't have a quarterback. What's George's excuse? Yeah, that was a really sloppy SEC game. <laughs> Speaking of the sloppy SEC games, we have Missouri and Vandy, where Vandy pulled the upset and completely, completely uh, shook up the SEC SEC East standings <laughs> as a result. Yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn is Vanderbilt offense. Yep, I think he was the and team leader in rushing. And receiving. Yeah, with a little touch of uh, Jared Pinckney. Missouri doesn't travel well. Um, no. so yeah, I believe Wyoming beat Missouri. Yeah, Missouri's a mess. But they can still decide the SEC race, I think. They still have Georgia and Florida on their schedule, so we'll see what happens in the future. <laughs> Not yeah. looking good. Not no. looking good. Yeah, that wraps up our national recap. Uh, not that many good games going on this weekend. It was, it was pretty much chalk, except for a couple of upsets here and there. Check me out. So, what are some games nationally that this week that were that bear watching? My game of the week is. Auburn LSU. Uh, I mm -hmm. feel like I'm repeat, saying the same thing every week about LSU, that this week is going to be the hardest defense that they've ever faced. Auburn still has what I would consider the best defensive line in the nation. Will Auburn stop LSU? Um, I think this game is going to come down to, to coaching. It's going to be yeah. Gus Malzahn versus Ed Ogeron in a chess match. These teams match up really well um auburn's defensive line is has the ability to overpower the offensive line but burrow has shown that that's not really a big deal for him and i think it's going to come down to the auburn defensive backs versus the powerful receivers that that lsu has will auburn outscore lsu uh no no they won't. probably not um will they score more points than we think that they can that they they will uh yeah i would say take whatever expected point total that you have auburn scoring and bump it up three to seven points and that's going to be about where they're going to score and it's a question also of lsu uh, maintaining momentum with their defense of getting progressively progressively mm -hmm. uh, more stringent as the schedule goes on, can they keep up with that? Does the offense have enough gas in the tank to get through one more brick wall defense? So that's going to be, for me, the game of the week. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting in the trenches, I believe, both offensively and defensively for both teams because Auburn has a really fearsome def defensive tackle in the named Derek Brown, which Oregon fans saw up close during the first game of the year. He, he's a terror, I'll say. He's the best defensive tackle in the country, bar none. And this defensive tackle class is loaded, and I mean loaded. So um, They're all from California and Oregon? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. So Brown against um, McGee, Adrian McGee, LSU's offensive lineman, it's going to be a really fun matchup to watch for me. And um, offensively, uh, for LSU, 
I would say Justin Jefferson against their defensive backs. That'd be really fun to watch. And obviously Joe Burrow is a Heisen candidate. So we'll see what happens. Uh, hashtag Joe Burrow's 2020 if you're a Titans fan. <laughs> and LSU has a couple of defensive linemen that need to wa- bear watching as well. Uh, Michael Divinity Jr., he's a linebacker. He's pretty good. And um, Richard Lawrence, he's a standout as well. So not to mention their standout safety, Grant Delpit. And their senior corner, Christian Fulton, he has an interesting story. He originally failed a drug test because he, um, he didn't take drugs, but uh, the he used someone else's urine, so that's why it was an automatic fail. So he was held back for a little bit to start off his college career, but he finally got cleared to play the last couple of years, and he's been one of the better corners in the country. So that he's a legitimate draft prospect. Yeah, one game I have an eye on is uh, Wisconsin against Ohio State. The big nude Saturday game. Yeah, big nude Saturday. Big nude Saturday. But uh, it's going to be a close one, I think, because Wisconsin's defense is um, it's still pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. I think we've been, uh, we've been fed a bag of lies about Wisconsin's defense. Uh, up until the Illinois game, or the average strength of offense that Wisconsin's defense had played was ranked 98, 98th in the nation. And then when Illinois comes in, ranked 50-something, I believe. It was, some, it was in the 50s. It was probably the best offense that they faced all year in the 50s. And they brought up the average uh, average offensive faced up to 88. So they've been playing some not good teams and putting up some really good numbers defensively. But I think that they're a little bit fraudulent in in what they advertise themselves to be. And I've got OSU coming in and winning big. Yeah, we'll see. It's uh, Ohio State has a couple of corners as well. It's a really deep cornerback class nationally, by the way. Um, Ohio State has uh, Jeffrey Okuda, which is he is CB1 without question, as usual. Um, it's not even a question how good he is, how far ahead of he is, uh, ahead of CB2 this year. So, yeah, that guy's shut down. Yeah, also, they have a linebacker named Tough Borland. Tough Borland, linebacker name, classic linebacker name, yeah. Offensively, they have a, rece- a couple of receivers, Chris Olave and Benjamin Victor. So we'll see how they match up against Wisconsin's defense. I believe they'll fare very well. Ohio State has too many weapons, uh, I believe. So it's going to be a close early, but blowout late. Between Tough Borland and Master Teague, I think they've got the yeah. names that, that we're looking for. And Steel Chambers. Yeah. <laughs> The all-name team. <laughs> all-name team. Gunner Hoax in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ohio State's defensive line is very underrated. There's a prospect every year, and namely this year, Chase Young. He's a freak athlete. That's all I'm going to say on that. Uh, they're very well coached by Larry Johnson Sr. Yeah, that's another game to watch. Big news Saturday. Pay attention, folks. <laughs> Also, another game I have a, a slight eye on is uh, App State against South Alabama. I believe App State's the last remaining undefeated group of five team. <laughs> so we'll see how the Mountaineers do. Oh, no. No, they are not. Yeah. Mustangs of Southern Methodist are also oh, yeah, unbeaten they are. Yeah. going into Houston this week. I don't know. A couple of guys from Mass State might uh might be returning the mobile in January for the senior bowl, but we'll see. <laughs> uh yeah, another game is uh Texas against uh TCU. That's that should be old fashioned shootout because Texas's defensive backs are arguably the worst in the country, <laughs> I'll say. And Jalen Rager of TCU, their speedy right receiver should eat a ton in this game. No, he really hasn't been been doing a whole lot this year. Um, yeah, one of the reasons their quarterback. I, 
Yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons I would be watching this game is they've re- released the uniform combina- combinations for TCU. Yeah. And they've got the red They're... outline. Oh my gosh, those look fantastic. Yeah, those are. Um... Yeah, we'll see how they look on the field. Upon my initial impressions, they were very um, not good. Oh, man. (laughs) For me, they looked really intimidating. Do you know why they use the red outline? Because they're the blood of the uh, horn frog. Yeah. I believe. uh, That's their defense mechanisms. They shoot blood out of their eye. Yeah. Also on TCU's side, uh, their offensive tackle, Lucas Niang, He's pretty good. He's one of the best offensive tackles in the class that no one's talking about but, um, due to their uh, iffy quarterback play, but he's he's very good. On the Texas side, we have uh, Sam Ellinger and their standout receiver, Devin DuVernay. He's really fast. And Colin Johnson, their big guy in the red zone, he's 6'6", so we'll see <laughs> how he matches up against the TCU corners. And their center, Zach Shackelford, he's one of the better centers in the country as well. So we'll see. Yeah, Ben, another classic SEC slobber knocker is um, South Carolina and Tennessee. (laughs) When I was thinking about this game today, an image popped into my head of this insect that got caught in a spider's web, but the spider had already died. I felt that was a very fitting metaphor for this game where neither team really seems to have life or any life left in it. Yeah, South Carolina got screwed last week uh, out of 14 points due to the referees being Florida homers. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it nice that way. But, uh, yeah, there was one play in that game last week where the Florida uh, receiver – was holding on to the South Carolina guy for a good 30 yards. I don't know if you guys saw that on the ATQ Twitter account, but I posted it, and it was it was embarrassing that they didn't call holding on that one. So um, another matchup I want to see in this game is uh, former five-star lineman Trey Smith and against uh, Javon Kinlaw for South Carolina. That should be a fun matchup to watch. You're right. That should be probably... One of the only reasons I would tune into this. And also to see uh, Will Muschamp's glasses. He looks Will, good. Will Muschamp's bulging forehead vein when he gets angry. He's the SEC version of Brian Kelly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, Brian Kelly was purple as Barney. <laughs> Speaking of Brian Kelly, his Irish take on the Wolverines, which seems like the... Most consecutive weeks that uh, ABC has Michigan <laughs> and primetime TV, it seems like. It's an old-school rivalry. I think and, uh, Notre Dame's been slipping a little bit in their in their play. That want to say uh, complacent might be a good, a good word for them. Um, if Michigan plays like it played against Penn State, then they have an excellent chance of winning this game but they are going to need to come in and play uh, a clean, put-together game. Um, uh, at Penn State, or they were brilliant. They held Penn State to 1.9 yards per play in the second half, if you don't count uh, K.J. Hamler's 53-yard touchdown. Um, Michigan was a, had one turnover in the game. If it wasn't for that one turnover or a missed field goal or a dropped pass in the end zone, they would have won the game. Uh, they had uh, 12 more first downs than Penn State did. They almost had more than 150 more yards of offense than Penn State did. Um, Penn State just had more points. Uh, Michigan State yep. played a hell of a game, but Penn State proved that uh, they were the better team on the scoreboard. Uh, so if Michigan can find a way to harness that game that they played last week, this week, it's going to be probably one of the better games of the week. Both sides have several standouts on the lines. Notre Dame has um, Khalid Kareem, the very good defensive tackle slash edge against Michigan's uh, Ben Br- Bridison. Uh, he is one of their best offensive guards in the country. 
And also, John John Runyon Jr. is a pretty good tackle, much like his father was in the NFL for a long time for the Wolverines. And also, for Notre Dame, their edge rusher, Julian O'Cara, he's in one of the best edge rushers in the country. What's going to be interesting is to watch in the skill position-wise is uh, Notre Dame's tight end, uh, Chase Claypool. He's one of the he's one of the two Canadians I've been keeping an eye on this year. <laughs> and against uh, Michigan's um, Kaliki Hudson, he's a linebacker slash safety type. And uh, Josh Metellus for Michigan, he's a he's more of a safety. But uh, Don Brown is a creative defensive coordinator, I'll say. So it's going to be interesting how those two match up against Claypool because he can play outside as a receiver or in line as a blocker, as a tight end. So it's going to be interesting, that chess match. Michigan has a corner in Levert Hill. He he uh, he was pretty good last year, but he's even better this year. Um, Notre Dame has seemingly developed a, a two-headed monster at tight end because not only do they have Claypool, but they also have Cole Kmet, which has come out. Um, and been just as big of a threat as Claypool, if not larger. Yeah. Main, I think mainly because teams are focused more on Claypool, but it's opened the door for Kmet uh, to come in and kind of vulture those those uh, those yards and those those touchdowns from Claypool. I think he's he's had a, a at least one touchdown a game since he's been back from uh, injury. Yeah, it was off the first couple of weeks this year with a foot injury, but. No, he's only he didn't score a touchdown during the Virginia game, but he's had a touchdown every game since. Uh, keep an eye on him, and then don't forget the uh, uh, Notre Dame offensive lineman Liam Eichenberg. Yeah, <laughs> who's uh, yeah. his his game reminds me a lot of Laramie Tunsil back when he was playing for Ole Miss. Yeah, we'll see how the quarterbacks do because uh, Shea Patterson he hasn't been good at all. So, and Ian Book has been inconsistent as well. So, I guess the more consistent quarterback will win this one. I agree. Yeah, Shea Patterson is another Johnny Football, I believe. Speaking of Penn State, they take on Michigan State this weekend, and it should be pretty tight defensive battle. You know, you said that against uh, when MSU played Ohio State. And yeah. uh, needless to say, it was it was not even close. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think Penn State walks away with the land grant trophy rel- relatively easy. Um, I cannot looking at Penn State the same way I was looking at LSU. Uh, they've had some really good success lately against some pretty good teams and it just can they keep up the momentum? Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. that they're in danger of losing to Michigan State, but it might be closer than uh, people want it to be. Yeah, this one features, I think, two of the best, two of the best um, edge rushers in the country, draft-wise. Penn State's uh, Yator Gross Matos, mm-hmm. and I believe he's edge one. And against Michigan State's Kenny Willickis, he's uh, he's edge three on my board. So it's going to be really interesting to watch those two go at it. Also, Penn State has the human joystick, uh, KJ Hamler, <laughs> the best KJ receiver in the Big Ten. Yeah. Believe it or not, there's a KJ receiver in Big Ten as well. So he's the best one. He's really small. He's like 5'9", 160, 170, I believe. That. Nobody can catch him to tackle him, so, <laughs> yeah. Also, there's another linebacker for Penn State, believe it or not. I know they always turn those out every year. <laughs> linebacker you. Yeah. Next is for next year's draft class, but Micah Parsons, he's a true sophomore, but he's really good this year, so keep an eye out for him next year. I have him on my number eight overall on my 2021 mock draft. Yep. Yeah, Penn State is linebacker U. <laughs> Hopefully Oregon overtakes them this year, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I believe that wraps up our national preview segment for this week. A couple of big games here and there, but some low-key, really good matchups throughout the landscape throughout the day while we wait for uh, 
the Pac-12 after dark in Eugene. <laughs> so Oregon and Washington State, that's going to be really, really close, I believe. Pac-12 after dark, baby! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a rumor growing around that Oregon will wear black and pink. I don't know if that's a rumor, but... I don't know if it's, that's just mess, message board rumor, but I don't know if it's real, but I don't know. We'll see. How do you feel about that, Joseph? Um, it's not the it's not the most successful uniform con- con- combination, I'll say. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I know that the students are supposed to wear black, but I haven't heard yet about the uniforms officially. Yeah. Uh, they'll have that out in the next couple of days, I believe. But... <laughs> On the field wise, it should they should match up very well. Washington State's receivers against Oregon's talent is secondary. Well that's gonna be really interesting to watch. Yeah, there's one Wazoo receiver in particular I have my eye on is um is uh Esau Winston. He's one of the best receivers in the conference. I wonder who's gonna match up with him given the depth of the Washington State receiver room. When I was speaking with uh, Michael Preston uh, earlier this week, we both kind of came to the conclusion that they're in, in the air raid offense, there's wide receiver depth chart is 10 deep. Uh, yeah. So whoever covers Aesop Winston is going to leave uh, Desmond Patman wide open and vice versa. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Brandon Arcanado is there to clean up whatever Aesop and Desmond don't get. Um, and then you look at uh, Travell Harris, who's also a threat over the middle. Um, Max Borgie, their big running back, all-purpose guy. Um, you know, he can catch the ball out of the backfield probably better than anybody else in Pac-12. Yeah, our defensive secondary has their work cut out for him. Yep. Speaking of Borgie, that he's he's one of the better running backs, I believe. Um yeah, it's um it's gonna be interesting how Avalo schemes around all those weapons. One of my keys to the game is uh control Max Borgie because yeah. Mike Leach's offense has shown that when the running back can get 100 or more offensive yards, he's successful 89% of the time. And so if we can control Borgie, both uh, running and receiving, then that greatly increases our chance of winning the game. Um, if you look at the tape against Utah, he only had 50 yards. And Utah put on a clinic for Washington State. Yeah. Yep, so our linebackers will have a lot of work to do. <laughs> um, yeah, that was my, that's yeah. my next point, uh, key to the game, is don't allow big plays down the field. You know, Keep every, everything yeah. in front of you. Make them play the short pass. Make them play that West Coast-style offense. Make them play ball control offense. Because if they're successful over the top, then they're just going to keep being successful over the top. And that's not something we can really afford to happen. And if we do, then we need to be sure that we have what it takes to score as many points as possible. Uh, I can see this easily turning into a track meet, much like UCLA did. But if if we can keep scoring points and not get complacent, this is probably the one game that we need to just keep scoring points as fast as possible because they can score points as fast as they want if we let them. So there's no uh, conservative uh, Mario in this one, I don't think. <laughs> no. No, I don't it's think gonna so. It's going to be a part of my language, balls to the wall, pedal to the middle. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be interesting to how to see how it turns out on a Saturday night. You know how Pac-12 after dark games get really weird. So, yeah, that wraps up our Oregon Wazoo preview. Thankfully, it's at home. 
But as it's shown, shown in years past, it really doesn't matter where Wazoo plays us. So <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully the Ducks come out a win, but, you know. Yeah, they've been really playing it up this year that none of the yeah. current players uh, on the roster have beaten Washington State. They're really trying to drive that home as that bulletin board material. Hopefully the Ducks come out a win, hopefully. But, uh, yeah, moving on to our favorite segment of the of the show. That was uh, miss- missing last week because uh, Willie actually won last week a couple of weeks ago. But this <laughs> week we have some fresh new material for What's Willie Doing? What is Willie doing, Joseph? He's uh, fighting for his job. Because <laughs> there are reports out there that uh, the athletic department and the university board people have contacted outside candidates, uh, such as um, the favorite to go to USC at the end of the year, Urban Meyer. So that's going to be interesting. But um, on the field-wise, they, they lost to Wake Forest due to classic Willie mistakes at the end. And uh, Willie had a tough time of things in the rain, admittedly. But um, at the end, the, the, his uh, classic in-game management skills are very, very showing or telling. Well, let me describe it to you guys uh, for those who didn't watch the game. Joseph, <laughs> what happened? Please tell me. <laughs> at the end, there was, um, I believe there was like 20 seconds, 25, 20 seconds left. They had time for uh, maybe two or three plays, and they ran out of clock because <laughs> uh, the offensive line on the first play, they were stopped short, and then they uh, they didn't bother getting up in time for the second play, and t- time ran out. <laughs> and off the there was one offensive lineman that were um, that was a clear three yards ahead of the, of his teammates, and he didn't get back in time to snap the ball. And the last play of the game, like where the clock ran out the um the offensive line the ball was snapped the offensive line got pushed back and they just laid there they didn't have a chance to run another play and then that's crazy <laughs> and also willie made a huge mistake sending the kicker out there when the kicker is not good i'll say <laughs> and predictably he missed the game-winning kick and it should have been in the contest really but it's just willie I think he's going to get fired at the end of the year, if not sooner, because their schedule is rough. If, I believe if he loses to Syracuse this weekend, he's out. Really? Yeah. Those are some strong words, Joseph. Those are some strong words. Because I already already have uh, the Florida game scheduled as a loss, <laughs> And Miami is going to be a toss-up. But if he loses Miami in any in a blowout fashion, he's definitely gone. So we'll see. <laughs> it's not like Florida State doesn't have the money. He has a $17 million buyout, I believe. <laughs> it's not chump change, but it's, that's a very significant amount of money. <laughs> yeah, well, when you're talking about firing a coach yeah. or building a new weight yeah. room, yeah. Kinda- puts things into perspective see also south florida it's just the florida state's recruiting isn't where it needs to be and willie's known as a recruiter so (laughs) so we'll see how it turns out speaking of syracuse they have a really good edge rusher named alton robinson he's really good he's really underrated i believe so that wraps up our segment on willie Hopefully he gives us more material just to spite him next week. (laughs) Maybe, if he still has a job. Okay, now moving on to our really most favorite segment of the show, the Quacks and Answers. Quacks and Answers. Let me pull up our questions here. A lot of questions this weekend, this week on ATQ. Let's go. Our first question comes from Gorbachev 5. He asks, uh, the Garfield Halloween special or it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown? Oh, Garfield Halloween special. Okay. Yeah, I agree. 
He also asks, uh, is The Nightmare Before Christmas more of a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? Um, both. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you could say it's both. I did say it's both. Yeah. <laughs> okay, our favorite commenter of the week, uh, Bill Musgrave, asks, are we there yet? Well. Almost. In terms of. Yeah, in terms of ending the season, maybe, but not not quite yet. Ask your mother. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Pickross asks, a red vines or the red plastic string cheese, aka Twizzlers? <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, well, we've had this one before, and yeah, uh, like I said before, uh, it kind of depends on context. If I'm on a road yeah. trip. Or if I'm buying uh, provisions for the office, I'm going to go Red Vines. But uh, mm-hmm. if I'm smuggling candy into the movie theater, or if I just want to grab something quick at a convenience store, I, it's going to be uh, Twizzlers nibs every single time. Yeah, I know. Don't um, don't roast me for those guys. But I haven't had Red Vines, so Twizzlers. Okay. Mm. Please, don't you're missing roast out. Me. Anyway, <laughs> our next question comes from Gusty J. They ask, best non-full-size Halloween candy that isn't Reese's mini, mini peanut butter cups. Wow, that's a mouthful. What do you think? I would say my personal favorite is Twix or Milky Way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um... I kind of want to give the edge to a Halloween candy that only comes out at Halloween, like the uh, the little uh, six lit tube, or uh, the uh, uh, what are those? Um, the Smarties, the, the roll of Smarties. Um, yeah. But I think, man, aside from the the Reese's Minis. Um, I'm a sucker for the the, the fun size M and M's, whether it's regular or yeah. peanut. Like they're just a like the perfect amount of M and M. Yeah, uh, that was all the questions, surprisingly. But Ooh. here's another question: Where do you fall on the candy corn debate? Um, I'm not familiar with the candy corn debate. What's the debate? Some people say it's not good. Some people say it's good, but um. I don't know. I, I I don't have a personal preference for them, but I'll eat them. But <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of both. Thing. That's yeah. kind of where I am too. Like if it's there, I'll eat it, and I'll probably eat a lot more of it than I should. Um, yeah, I don't think it's bad, but I also won't deliberately reach for it either. Probably, if it were a year-round candy, I'd get pretty burnt out about it. But since it's like a special. Uh, holiday seasonal candy, I feel a little bit better about it. I like Snickers, too. Snickers are the best. Mm. Yeah. Okay, our Ducks news. We have several news items of the, of the day so far. The biggest being uh, wide receiver Brendan Schooler transferring. This happened, I think, literally three, two, three hours ago. <laughs> So this is breaking news for us, sort of. There seems to be a little confusion about exactly what being in the transfer portal means. Uh, can you explain that to us a little bit? Yeah, uh, being in the portal doesn't mean that you're automatically transferring. It uh, it means that the player can pull out. It's just they're not guaranteed to be back on the team because that's up to the coaching discretion. Because basically their scholarship is forfeit. So they (laughs) once they enter the portal, they forfeit the scholarship and can no longer practice with the team. And then it's up to the coach to say, okay, you can come back and everything's fine. Or, uh, no, we've moved on. Um, Good luck someplace else. Yeah, that's pretty much what it boils down to. Okay. Because uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, um, the Oregon's defense back, Khalif Halesi, he transferred. He's in the portal, but we have no 
continues on where he's going yet. So hopefully it works out for Schooler. We wish him the best. Do you think step. that he'll be uh, a receiver at his next location, or do you think that he'll uh, go back to his original defensive back position? I think it depends on the program where he goes to. Because um, draft-wise, he's, he's basically undrafted free agent as a receiver. He has some potential as a safety, so I think he'll go to safety. Now, he's a senior, so yes. um, he could take this year as a redshirt year and still have one more year of eligibility? Yes, he only played in three games, so... And then, so how would that work with uh, if he required to sit out a year? Uh, he would be considered like a graduate transfer academically. Okay. So he would, well, it depends on the NCA, but you know how the NCA is with these certain things. Right. So uh, basically, the cut and dry short story of it is, is that he, he can use the redshirt this year to sit out his senior year in quotations and um and try again next year as another program as like kind of like a fifth year senior so to speak okay it's kind of like what uh houston's doing with Derek king all right yeah <laughs> so we wish uh brendan schooler the best in his next step well i mean depends on where he goes yeah if he goes to washington i don't necessarily wish him the best yeah <laughs> but that's pretty much it and also in basketball news, basketball season coming, the AP released their poll, and Oregon's ranks ranks the fifteenth. Fifteenth and the top ranked Pac-12 team. Yeah. Much like the much like the football poll, you don't see Washington anywhere. <laughs> I see Washington. Yeah, as receiving votes. <laughs> they are number twenty-sixth on this yeah. poll. Colorado, 27. Um, Arizona is 21st. And on the way, way, way down on the others receiving votes list is USC. Yeah, and I just uh, saw the news where Michigan State's uh, top-ranked player is going to be out with a foot injury. Yeah, the top five is pretty, pretty much like self-explanatory, I think. Michigan State, Kentucky, Kansas, pending NCAA investigations there. And number four is Duke, and number five is Louisville, surprisingly. Pending NCAA investigations there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, so any closing thoughts? Uh, I have a few closing questions, mainly for you, Joseph. Okay. Um. World Series starts tonight. Do you have uh, a World Series projection? Um, I think it's going to be Astros and six. Astros and six. All right. Um, I'm going to say... I'll say Washington and seven. Just to have uh, Bryce Harper as the ultimate Ewing theory. The ultimate what? The Ewing theory. I'm not familiar. The so Ewing theory is where um, it was concocted by Bill Simmons, where without Patrick Ewing, the Knicks are pretty good. So in the playoffs. Oh, um, yeah, I think that's kind of funny. Uh, they they trade in arguably the second best player in baseball, and as a result, yeah, <laughs> they end up in the World Series. I don't know. Yeah. And then, uh, speaking of end-of-the-season results, uh, today's also the first day of the NBA season. What's your, your NBA pick for, uh, for the finals this year? My homer pick would be the Hawks versus the Lakers, but the Hawks won't come anywhere near the playoffs, I think. Really? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll, go, maybe they'll be the A seed in the East, hopefully. I'm a Hawks fan. Um, I would say one of the Los Angeles teams against Philly. All right. I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say 
Clippers over the Celtics. Ready here first, folks. Clippers over Boston in five, six. Clippers over Boston in six. What are your closing thoughts? Um, my closing thoughts are that one of Georgia Southern's football players, uh, Jordan Wiggins, he was found to have committed suicide. So uh, rest in peace and thoughts and prayers to his family and friends. And also, please seek help for if you have any issues. Uh, I'll, I'll tweet out the numbers, the hotline numbers, when I get a chance this evening. But please, if you're having issues, please seek help because you, yeah, you are, you're special to every one of us. Yeah, I know this impacts us closely in the Pac-12 as um, as Tyler Helinski committed suicide last year for Washington State. Um, but we don't need any more young kids committing suicide, especially college football players. So if you have any issues, please consult the hotline and please seek help. That's all I ask. I don't want to see any more young young people dying. Yeah, please seek help wherever you can. And that wraps up our show today. So please rate and review us on the various podcast sites. And uh, please give us a follow. Uh, mine is uh, at, at DuckingNulls247. And yeah. what's yours, Tom? Mine is at underscore Duke Tom. And please follow along on Addicted to Quack as we have plenty of good writers. So, and um, go Ducks. Go Ducks.